I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, who are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water and now biodegradable. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to women about their own unique experiences of motherhood. The insane joy and anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears, and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum, from that first snappy change to those messy weaning months, Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. Made here in Ireland, Water Wipes are now 100% biodegradable and compostable wipes. With the same purity and quality as before, they are ideal for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. When a baby is born, a mother is born too. A new person who has strengths she never knew she had and who has transformed to become the mother that her child needs her to be. Because each child is uniquely special, so too is every mum. This week, I'm joined by an incredibly special woman, mum of four, Amanda McGuinness, to better understand the autistic world that she shares with her three autistic boys. The arrival of Connor, Amanda's first son, has taken her on an exceptional 11-year journey from struggling to reach a diagnosis for her little baby to herself being diagnosed as autistic as an adult. And she now confidently raises her three autistic sons, daughter Haley, and has become one of the leading autistic advocates in Ireland, supporting thousands of families through littlepuddins.ie and The Autistic Educator. This journey is transformative and so full of positivity and pride but it also came with terribly low mental health days, as Amanda describes the suicidal thoughts she experienced at the height of a period of depression, which may affect listeners. But I want to thank Amanda for her honesty in discussing this with us, as without opening up, we push those going through these feelings now even further away. Talking is the solution. And so I've included a list of support services in our show notes. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on Every Mum, the podcast. Um, it is lovely to see you this morning. As, and as I look out at this crazy storm that seems to be happening here at the minute, I'm reminded of a phrase that, look, we're all, we all hear right now, which is we're all in this storm together, but we're all in different boats. Um, and I think that's especially true for, for you. What's going on in your boat right now? Well, thanks so much, Sinead, for having me on. It's just... I can't believe I'm even on the podcast because I've listened for so long. And even at night when I'm up with my little puddings, I do just switch on your podcast and it just takes kind of the stress out of the night. I'm just awake listening. So thanks so much for having me on. Um, I suppose the storm for us, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster since it's almost a year now, unbelievably. But it has been a bit of a roller coaster since last March. We have obviously had schools closed and opened again and, and for most families and for all families it's been really tough but I suppose in our situation it might be a little bit tougher because in our household we have my daughter Haley, who's a teenager and then we have my three little boys Connor, Jack and Max and each of the boys are autistic and up until last week two of the boys were non-speaking but the baby at the house started to try and speak last week so it was so lovely he started to say bubbles he can say daddy now uh, what else does he say? He says good night for good night. Um, oh, that's amazing! Yeah, it's so lovely. So it has been, I suppose, as you, as you know, when we're thinking about a storm. It has been, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs. But the main part for us was just trying to settle the boys back into a routine because when you are autistic, you do rely on um, structure and routine at home and at school and they had been so used to going to school every day and they really relied on it because they had such lovely teachers and SNAs and now suddenly we're at home and school was gone and it's very hard to explain to little people that rely on that routine why their routine has suddenly changed. So take us back Amanda so you had Haley. so Haley is neurotypical yeah. um, and then Connor came along and yeah. explain to me as, as a mom who is you know, who's already had a baby and we're terrible at this in the comparison game of yeah. oh, what age did they do this and when did they smile and when did they roll over and 
did they fit into the same baby grows at the same time and all that kind of stuff. So what were the first kind of signs for you that something needed to be looked at for Connor? Um, for Connor, it was immediate, to be honest, um, because I'm autistic myself. I would notice patterns. Um, that's just the way my mind works. I notice patterns in people. I notice patterns in behaviors. I can, my mind is really visual. So I can, you know, that you could be like, oh, I can think back to that time, but I can actually envision that time nearly as if it's happening now. So when Connor was born in the hospital, what was very clear to me straight away was that he was not like his sister when she was born. He you know, with a little baby, you try and comfort them. They kind of nearly mold into your body. Um, mm. He wasn't like that at all. He was just very, I suppose I would say singular. Um, he couldn't keep his bottle down. I don't mean to the point that he was spitting up. It was projectile, it was projectile vomiting out of him and he couldn't sleep at all, even from the hospital. He never slept a full night for about two and a half years. And that started in the hospital. Um, you know, where you know yourself you're in having your little ones mm. you know some babies sleep those first few nights in the hospital and some don't but Connie never did and I just remember he was it was just I can't really describe it other than I knew straight away there was a challenge and I remember bringing that to the attention of the nurses and the doctors and they were I suppose for, for them from their perspective maybe they just thought I was exhausted from having a baby or whatever but I was I, I think now it was because I could see um I'd be very visual. I could just see there was something going on here that wasn't very typical of a young infant. Again, I'm one of 11, so I would have seen a lot of babies. I'm the oldest girl, and I would have helped mm. my mother raise a lot of babies. But from the very beginning, it was obvious to me that Connor was having challenges. And as I said, from the very beginning, he didn't sleep. So for the next two and a half years um, with Con, he didn't meet any of his milestones. He never learned to speak. He... Uh, at one point he could say mama, dada, and I know it's not a word, but he used to say bottom, doppen, and that was like the last thing he ever said. Oh, I don't have to cry. And I just remember thinking, I wish I had recorded his voice because obviously, excuse me, he can't speak now. So it's just those things that you forget, but sorry, what am I crying? But it's just still very raw because obviously I have four children and three can speak and a good cat, and you always hold out hope that. Um, you always hold up that hope that they will all speak, you know. And the baby, like, started speaking last week. And it was so bittersweet because he can speak more than his oldest brother, you know. So there was a lot going on when um, Connor was small. And I think what would have helped me is when I had gone to different sort of, you know, professionals and asked for help and said, you know, my little boy, he's not speaking. He's not meeting his milestones. Like by the time he was a year, he still couldn't sit up. Um, he couldn't hold any weight on his legs. Um, and he wasn't interactive at all. He was for a little while, he'd smile at you. But what I noticed with Connor was that if you were trying to communicate with him or get his attention, you really, really, really had to be very focused in getting his attention. And again, I wouldn't have known back then it was that my little boy was autistic. But I just remember it was exhausting because Haley, I could just say her name or when she was a baby, I would, you know, play with her and she'd smile back. And you know what you'd expect with babies. Um, they do, they're interactive, fun little beings. And Connor was lovely and so fun. But for Connor, like I really had to, if I wanted to get his attention, I really, really, really had to work really, really hard to get his attention. And again, I know now that was because he was autistic. But I didn't know it then, and I used to just feel so bad as a parent. I would just say, why can't I get this right from, why can't I help him talk? Why can't I help him learn to walk? Why can't he do all the things in first comments he should be able to do? And I didn't blame anyone, I blamed myself, because I didn't know. I suppose my little guy was autistic, and it didn't matter who I told or where I went for help because he was he and he still is today he's very tall for his age and, and he's very well built he looked like a strong little baba and you know we were just told oh you know i suppose people probably thought maybe i was just overdone you know with two little little people run it's only a year between Haiti and connor so maybe people thought i was overdone or exhausted and i was just but i was hyper aware that he wasn't beating his milestones. I remember one day playing peekaboo with Connor and he was eventually walking at this point and I was hiding behind the curtain and he just didn't even notice that I was behind the curtain. And I remember looking out saying, Connie, mommy's behind the curtain. And he just walked off like I was invisible. And I just remember going, why doesn't he 
notice. You know the way babies would be like, oh, you're gone, you're coming back. You know the way they'd be really interactive. Mm. He didn't even notice. Um, he didn't even notice. He just walked by and I just remember feeling so bad. I was like, why can't I help him? Like, why am I such a bad mother? And uh, it's just... I think really that that's there's there's a few things in what you've described there that I'm I'm hearing so often though from women, which is yeah. one, you knew in your gut. Yeah. You knew in your gut, you the mother from the moment you met your child, you knew something that the experts couldn't see. Yeah. And I and there's such a connection and, and if anything I'm learning from these episodes and these conversations is like never silence a mother's gut instinct. And the other thing is, we place so much blame on ourselves. A hundred percent. Yeah, I do. And I would hear that from, you know, through my social media. And I'm so lucky to have so many lovely parents that I talk to now every day. But I would know, I would hear that every single day. Like every single day I'm contacted online by parents that felt like, feel like, feel now, like I did 10 years ago. Like I know now different, but Mm. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I just because you, you go to the expert and you say this is what I'm seeing and then they're saying no 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 it's just your perception they're perfectly fine they're you know they'll meet their milestones and you're going okay okay maybe maybe I'm wrong and then you doubt yourself and you say well if this person who has all these letters after their name is telling me that no 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 it's just me he's fine or you know I and what didn't help either being honest was I had gone to people I would have known in my life and I would have said this you know this is what I'm seeing I'm really worried and one person said to me no it's not it's not it's nothing wrong it's how you hold him too much because I'd be very hands-on mammy mm. and they said I was holding him too much and I wasn't giving him the chance to develop and another person said it was your own doing because I'm very hands-on mammy and I was just oh god yeah it was pretty horrific but again if someone had said okay well what do you think maybe right like if someone came to me now I would say okay so what I would tell you to now is could you record what you're seeing so you can show this to whoever you go to and yeah. can write down anything you're noticing so then you can show it's not just a mother coming in because like me I'd be very as you can tell I'd be very emotional about my kitty so if I was going in I'd be trying to relay all that information and again because I'm autistic I would struggle kind of socially to communicate verbally whereas I'd be much better in written or in video to show them what I'm seeing because I find it very hard to describe mm. um but that's what I would tell moms. And I would say, keep a journal, talk, talk to me anytime. If, I, if I'm not you know, aware of this kind of issue that you're struggling with, I can point you in the direction of some of the camp. But the most important thing that would have helped me if just anybody had listened, because I spent that first full year of his life um, absolutely in the depths of despair. Well, it was about two years, really. And I became very, very depressed to the point I ended up eventually suicidal because... I'd be very capable in my day-to-day life. There's nothing I can't teach myself or there's nothing I could do. Before I had Connor, I was training to become a solicitor. And then I went off and was on maternity leave and had Con, and that was that. I knew I, I wouldn't be able to go back to work because um, his needs were so great that I knew he would need his mom and I wanted to be there to help him. And I didn't know that I could trust somebody else to take mm-hmm. over my role, but also because nobody could really see what I was seeing. And I saw I had to give up work, but actually, as it happened, I could never go back because about it, within that first year, he was eventually diagnosed as, um, they used to call it back then, having autism, but he's autistic. Mm. Um, but even then, you know, then I had a little boy with a diagnosis and I still didn't know anybody who had a child who was autistic or a child of my, we'll say a child as young as mine that was autistic. I had nobody to relate to. So I was, I felt then this is now back in the days of dial up internet, like it was 10, 11 years ago, but I still lived in the country then. So like mm. there was no internet. And I remember one day I eventually got on my uh, parent-in-law's it was dial up internet and I searched for support groups. I think, that, I think actually the doctor, she was so lovely that, you know, that did tell me Connor was autistic. Um, I think she told me to look for support groups. I went and I looked for a support group and there was a support group uh, in the area. So, and I got the phone number and I rang and it was uh, a, a real country lady, just more, more, more than myself. And she said, oh, no, girl, no, no, we had to close that down. The women had to be home to put on the dinner for the husbands. And I was, Stop. Like, I was like, OK. And then that was it. And I didn't know any other person who had a child who was autistic for another year and a half. You are. And that's still only 10 years ago. Yeah, well, 11, he's nearly 11. So that was about 11 but, years ago. But not, 
We're not talking back in the 50s. No, no, no. But that was all there was. Um, there was nothing. Well, there, there wasn't even that. There was nothing. So um, I just... I just became I just remember feeling so worthless because again nobody really understood now there's so much thank god autism awareness and understanding mm. and it's fantastic as I am there's so many great things out there now and so many great advocates and autistic advocates as well but back then if the, if that existed I didn't know about it so I spent the next I suppose 18 months after he was he was diagnosed for he and the other thing was when Con was diagnosed, um, he would have been one of the youngest children ever diagnosed in Mayo with autism I was told uh, because he had been, I suppose, the way Connor ended up being diagnosed, being honest, was that I had, I have an aunt, and she had said to me that the because I was always bringing him in out of the hospital because mm. I knew there was something, I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew he, I knew he was so struggling, and I didn't, I couldn't get anyone to listen to me. So she said the next time he was in for because he has a he has a bowel um, issue as well, it's associated with autism, and I she said the next time he's in hospital. She said, you're just going to have to say to them that if, if they don't listen to you this time, that you're just going to leave them there and they can do whatever they need to do with you. But you're just going to. That's what happened, actually. So actually, he had no. what's called prolapsed bowel and I brought him to casualty with it. Um, and I just at that point, I was so depressed and I just cried. I just cried. Um, so I was so depressed and I just said, if you can't tell me what's happening, I can't take him home and you can do whatever you need to do to me. But you have to help him because nobody is listening to me because there's something wrong here and I don't know what it is he was kept in hospital and all that week I didn't know but he's been observed for autism and I was being I know now because I've been through it three times they're asking me all these different questions and all these you know things about his development and should he have let's say any types of behavior sense of concern and of course he did because he was autistic but I didn't know so I was describing now I know I'm um, repetitive behaviors I was describing sensory challenges and sensory differences I was describing stimming but I didn't know I was just describing this was con and this is what he did and all of that and uh, by the end of that week um, they came in and just oh my gosh she's the loveliest consultant she's still is consultant today and she just said um, you know she's telling me all about you know what the questions were for and all of that she said you know your little boy is autistic and that's why he has been struggling and she actually apologized because his file he wasn't even a year old he's such a big thick file because i had bring it bringing him in and bringing him out and he just said i'm so sorry she said, you know i should have listened and you came in so many times and she said but your your little boy is autistic and i think no i think the phrase was he has autism that that was the phrase the kind of phraseology back then and i just said okay and what does he need for that you know mm. so innocent thinking well just get and, and in my head i was like well He'll just get the medicine. He might need an operation. I was so ignorant to everything. And she just said, no, it's a lifelong developmental condition. And I was just like, oh, that means forever. You know, and I'm an intelligent woman. But in the moment, I just remember, wherever in a, in a situation where you listen to someone talk, but you feel like you're really far away from them. Because I just remember my head feeling like it was being pushed out to the ground because it was going into shock. And I just remember going, oh, my God. And I remember I just looked down at Khan and he wouldn't have been, he would have kind of been smiling now and again. Like if any photos I have of him smiling as a baby, like I treasure them because there, there isn't many of them. And he just kind of smiled up at me. And I was like, oh my God, he smiled. I, was like, I can't, you know? And um, I just remember thinking now, or back then I remember thinking that was probably his way of saying, because he can hear and he can understand for the most part. And I just remember thinking that was him saying, and now you know, because yeah. I've been trying to tell you, but now, you know, I went home and I told my husband and, I told one other person, well, I told a few people I had to tell that. One person said, well, that's your own doing because you always held them. And, you know, things that would be really helpful if, you know, if they said it to me now, I'd say, well, actually, you know, it's a neurological, you know, I could tell you. But back yeah. then it was a word that I was trying to, it was the biggest word I'd ever heard. It, I mean, as in, it just overtook my whole life, not as in the word itself, but it overtook my life for a good few years because I was trying to find, I was searching then after that, um, but it's it sent you on a journey to now be one of one of like a brilliant advocate. Oh well, you know, and and the support that you now pour into the lives of parents that are reaching these diagnoses. Yeah, you know, like it's terrible to say. Like you went through, you went through this in in such a vacuum and all alone. But you're you're making sure that nobody's yeah. going through that now. Yeah, but that's. That's how Little Puddins came about because then when Jack was um, born, 
again, I noticed straight away, he wasn't falling into line. I could see it visually, mm. different things he was doing. He was, fall, he was on par with Connor. And I was saying very early to my husband, I said, you know, Mick, I think Jack is autistic. He's like, you have autism on the brain. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, this fella is autistic. I said, I see it in him. So I wasn't nervous or, or felt, I suppose, upsetting case my son was going to be autistic because mm. if he was, he was still my son. And if he wasn't, he was still my son, you know? I felt incredibly blessed that Connor, as I say, in my mind, had chosen me to be his mom because we had struggled through so many things together, myself and Con. Like we spent the first uh, about two and a half years of his life driving at nighttime because um, he couldn't sleep. And I know now it's because he had sensory processing disorder and he was autistic, but I didn't know any of this at the time. Like he was like, even when he was diagnosed, nobody explained to me what sensory processing disorder was and nobody said and your child may not sleep at night time like he didn't I mean from the very beginning I'm not joking Sinead, he did not sleep at night time at all I, I learned from color that motion helped him sleep so I used to push him around the house at night time in the bush chair um and actually the motion would help him sleep but sometimes I used to get blackouts because I was so exhausted so I was totally exhausted but again when Jack, when I was pregnant with Jack, it didn't bother me because, I, I mean, it did bother me, but it was to the point, the opinions of other people and the judgment I knew they would place on my kids because if he was going to be autistic, he was going to be seen as different and other because Connor had been treated so badly, we'll say, once he was diagnosed. I know um, one lady came up to me in Dunn's stores after Connor was, I don't even know how people hear these things. She, were, she came up, she was like, oh my God, I heard your son about your news. And I was like, how do you, like it was only a couple of days after he'd been diagnosed in the hospital. I was like, how do people hear news? Or how do you, you know, because mm -hmm. I'd be very quiet and private and I just didn't know how anybody knew any of this. And I thought she was going to say, oh, if I can help her, you know the way you think so? Yeah. Oh, that's what I would naturally say. And she said, oh, well, I was just saying to mom, at least he can walk. He's not a complete vegetable. <gasps> I was just like, Amanda. But that to me was my first introduction and understanding of how people perceive people or people and particular children with additional needs is different and other and that it's okay to speak so negatively of another person. So for me, when I was pregnant with Jack, um, it was what's the age difference? Um Connor is ten, Jack is seven, and Matt Right. So it was three three years on. So he was well diagnosed. You sort of you'd I knew my way. educated yourself enough yeah. and, and you'd I was be... learning. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and at this point I had a few friends who had autistic children. So I felt I was empowered. But mm -hmm. as again, I, I, I had a support base there and that made oh my god such a difference. So I had Jack then and again um I went about having him assessed when I could see he was autistic and he was obviously autistic and um, I just remember then when Jack was diagnosed I just remember feeling like do you ever have this sense of urgency I was like I need to do something because mm. I'm not the Amanda of three years ago that was suicidal in Galway Bay I'm the Amanda now that knows and I still have a lot to learn but I've learned a lot mm. you know so I something kept coming back into my mind about when Con was small and Haley was small we'd had a lady came into our house to visit you know we knew very well and Haley was playing and she kept calling Haley little pudding because I'd call them little puddings mm. and then Connor was in the corner I think he was stimming I can't remember he was doing what would be very typical of Connor stimming and whatever he was doing kind of sensory behaviors and she was like and, and there he is there it was very obvious that she was like oh like what's he do and I, in my head I was going but he's a, he's a little pudding he's a little pudding and I was like oh he's a little pudding and there was just dead silence she didn't go oh he is yeah. and then when Jack was diagnosed then I thought you know I just had a sense of I think I could help people I don't know how so I thought I'm going to set up a blog and I'm going to call it the little puddings because mm -hmm. whether you have special needs or you don't whether you're different or you're not everybody should be treated with respect and dignity and seen as what they are which is just especially children just lovely little human beings and you should give them you know the same love and support as you would whether they had additional needs or not and that's kind of how little puns came about then because I didn't want to have any parent be like I had always felt um after Con was even before he was diagnosed I just felt lost and alone and I thought if I can support um if I can support anybody um, not, and help any parent not feel suicidal or to the depths of despair that I had felt then that was that's what I was going to do um, and now you're doing it again in supporting families that now are trying to to, to, to run homeschools 
yeah. you know, in, in the absence of SNAs. And I think that's a wonderful initiative that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I just, um, well, that's kind of, Little Puddin started off as just a blog talking about my kiddies. And again, I've always been very interested in education. I, I've always got my husband, when he first met me, I had a room in my house that was basically like a classroom but it was full of say whatever again that plays to the I suppose point of autistic I would have special interests my special interest my entire life has been education and teaching I should have actually become a teacher and not tried mm. to become a solicitor because uh it was my dad that was like you know you know because he, he has a he has a building company he's like you make a great corporate lawyer and I was like yeah maybe I'll do law so I did kind of law for my dad but I I wanted to become a teacher but I thought you know for your dad I was like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna become a lawyer um, but I should have actually just become a teacher because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. Um, but then I suppose I threw myself into helping my own little ones. And out of that, we kind of created a homeschool room in our house. And it was only then through my social media, I realized that other parents were interested in this. And I, and I started to share that with them online. Not much because I'd be very shy, but I shared some of the videos. And again, I just found parents going, well, how did you, how did you get your child to sit at the table? Like my guys run around the room. And I was like, oh, you just need help with regulation. They're like, what's that? And I was like, oh, well, that's this. And I just developed out of that. And then over the pandemic, um, I started to share way back in March, lots more kind of videos and information and posts um, that I just, I suppose, take for granted that I know. And you, you assume everybody knows, but obviously they don't know if, if it's not their day-to-day -day life. And again, it's been my special interest my entire life. And then just recently through Plan in, in Dublin, the parent-led autism network, they had asked me, could I put on a webinar to, you know, free webinar to support parents? And oh my God, it was just oh my god I couldn't believe what happened it just exploded everywhere and, I, and I've been asked to do the same kind of you know along the same lines of talks to support parents and it's been fully booked every time and I'm just like to me I'm just me so I don't understand I'm not, I'm not like I understand I have a following online but I'm still just I'm just me it's not a it's not put on or it's not a there's no agenda I just want to help people and that's why what you're doing is so phenomenal you know because you're so you're you're making sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah, that's why. Because I think, and I think anyone that's ever, I suppose, maybe felt very low in their life or very lonely, you never want, um, you never want anybody else to feel that way. And I think that's what keeps me grounded because I suppose, you know, I ended up in Galway Bay one night where I was gonna just, I suppose, I was just gonna go. I just couldn't do it anymore because I just felt Connor could have a better mother than me. It was before he was a year old, and I just remember I couldn't feel any lower or any more invisible, or any, I couldn't keep the weight of the guilt off my shoulders. I just felt desperate and nobody was listening and I just thought you know I think I'm just going to go I just remember feeling so exhausted I just wanted to sleep forever but Con was with me and you know obviously I would never harm my baba and I just remember he was on my shoulder it was the middle of the night in Galway because I went to university in Galway and I just always associated with it as a happy place so I just felt bottomless I just thought I just I just need to sleep if I could just sleep I'd feel better and if I don't I didn't even mind if I never woke up again I just wanted to sleep forever I was so tired and I was so tired I'm asking for help but not getting help I remember Con was on my shoulder and I, I was just very logical in my mind I remember I was looking into the water and I'm saying well okay I have Connor so I need to put Connor somewhere safe because someone needs to know he's here and I thought well if I leave him in the car someone could take the car and not know Connor's in it or they might not even take it was only my little micer my dad bought me in college I have my micer and I just thought if I leave him in the car he could get cold Connor can't speak so he can't tell anybody who he is and I thought he could leave a note and I just really sounds really strange now I'm just very logical and I thought well I could drop him to Mill Street Guard Station but then they're going to see me run away and I was like and I'll never get time and I was just really very logical how am I going to do this now and then I just thought no I just couldn't figure out how I was going to do it logically and then just for Connor to have him somewhere safe but I remember he was on my shoulder I was rubbing his back it was a little it was nearly like a little Eskimo suit he was all really bundled of warm and I just remember him said something like ma or mama or something and I was just like oh my god did you just say mama and I was just looking at him and I just said I just said okay home con we'll go home we'll go home con but I didn't want to you know 
I didn't want to leave them in the car and I couldn't think what to do. I just remember saying, home, can we go home? And I remember I cried all the way home with the car. All the way home, I cried. Thank God he stepped out the heat on and he snoozed back to sleep. And I just remember when I got home, I was on the way home. I remember I was just going, I could drive into a tree or I can't. I just remember I was just planning, like, I was very logical. It doesn't make sense now because I would never. But I was so, so depressed. And I remember I came home and told my husband and he was like, what? And, you know, shocked. Mm. And he was like, you need to get help. And, you know, and I did. I went to my GP and... I started to feel better then because I just because I didn't tell anybody that part. I could tell them about my son, but I couldn't tell them yeah. that I was struggling and that I wanted to take my life. But once I did start to say it, I started to feel better. And I know what helped me then as well was I had um, my best friends. They're still my friends to this day. Um, Caroline, Emer, and Gillian. They never left my side, even though they didn't live in Mayo anymore. Like my friend Caroline would come down. She she was training at the time in Dublin and she would come down every couple of weeks and just take Connor off. We should come mm. into the house and she'd say, get out of the house, Mandy. And I'd say, no, no, no. Because Connor would kind of, at that time, used to just scream day and night and he was really little. And she'd just say like, Mandy, take Hayley out of the house and get out of the house. My husband was working around the clock and God help him when he'd come in from work. I'd just be like, I need to leave the house. So he'd no. take over and I'd leave with Hayley. Uh, she used to just come in and take Connor and like get out of the house. By the time I'd come back, she's like, do not come back into this house till after three o'clock. If you come mm. in, I'm locking the door. And I'd come back and she'd look correct. She goes, no, I've done my good deed. I'll see you again next week. You know, so that kept me going because I'd live for that day just for Hayley because I wanted to get her out of the house. Um, and that's it. And I, I love that about women. And it's something that I'm so sad can't happen right now. Yeah, but then online is helping each other though as well, because even now and you know people say I support them, but I feel so supported by, like as I was saying to you earlier, I listen to the Every Mom podcast when I'm in the house. <laughs> I just even if it's one I've listened, to, I was listening to the one with um, Ali D the other day. It was actually hilarious. Which was not <laughs> about the kids, and I was like, how did that woman have three? Kids? I was listening literally the other day. I was like, I'm just going to listen to a podcast. So I, I had it on as <laughs> Ali, like, oh my god, if she doesn't get her own like comedy show, nobody ever will. <laughs> so funny or like I listened to the one with Tara like how inspirational the navigation coach like so for me online it could be listening to a podcast it could be talking to another parent online it could be talk you know all I what I love about Instagram as well it's very interactive you can chat to each other on everyone's blogs and things you know or I read like I might go onto your um, page you share great posts by different parents and I read that and I go wow you know it puts everything into perspective and it helps you feel grounded that's what I feel anyway and you don't feel alone then so like even now in the pandemic, it has been hard at times at home with the little puddings, but I'm always consciously aware it's very hard for them too, as as children trying to get through this pandemic. But it's great then for me as a parent to go, does anybody have this experience or can anybody, or a lot of the time I get contacted and asked by parents, could I share something on my stories or on my grid mm-hmm. and ask for help for them? And I do that all the time because... I just would never want anybody to feel like I felt 10, 11 years ago to the point where I was, as I said, I just want to sleep forever. I don't want anyone to ever feel like that. I want everybody to know there is somebody there. And if it's not me, and I always say that if it's not me to help you, I can direct you without doubt to the person that can. And and also what I find great about online is there's so many teachers, therapists, SNAs. Oh my God, there's so many people online giving of themselves so freely. And that has helped me as well. So if I'm struggling, we'll say, with something with one of the boys, I can just pop onto someone's blog and they probably have the information there that I, I was struggling with, you know, whereas 10 years ago, I was just hitting a brick wall because I didn't know anybody and I didn't even know where to look. Whereas now you just type it in. It's not like my dial-up internet 10, 11 years ago. Now it's like, it's on my phone. I've access to a great support network of women and men around the world on my phone at any one time. It's, it's an incredibly, um, I suppose it's an incredibly reassuring feeling really is what it is. You you don't feel that loneliness as much now. I mean, you have your moments, but for the most part, I, I just, as I just said, I just don't even know why I have a blog because I'm nobody. But to me, having other parents there to chat to every day, that's what keeps me going. They say I, I help them. And I'm like, no, you help me because mm-hmm. you don't, I think when you've been to where I've been, you don't forget those feelings. So how much stronger did you feel by the time Max came along? and was diagnosed to when Um, Connor was diagnosed oh my god I was like a different person it was actually Max again my husband was like stop and I was like before Max was three months old I had said to my public health nurse I said Max is autistic and I had said to my husband he was like you bought I said do you remember the last time you said that (laughs) Jack was autistic Mm. Um, I just felt like a different person Sinead I 
I just, I just, I just still, I think because things had been so hard when Connor was small, I, I can never lose that feeling. And that's what keeps me grounded because I'm just myself all the time. But also I felt I could look back to that woman and say, mm. you know, Amanda, look how far you've come. You know, your little guy is autistic before anyone around you can tell you. So this is what we need to do, my little buddy. You know, and we started, I started working with Max. We started to do OT and regulation and, you know, he's talking now. And that, I'm not saying that's anthony to me. That's his own amazing ability that he learned to talk. But I knew what to do, you know, and I mm. have a room in the house, a homeschool room full of every type of resource, every type of therapeutic thing they could imagine because again, I'm 10 years down the line. So, you know, when Max popped up his head and was like, I'm autistic, I was like, I've got you, buddy. Don't worry. I know what we're going to do. With Connor, it devastated me because mm. not because of a diagnosis, but because I didn't know how I was going to help him. Not because he had a label or like for me, I'm autistic. Again, I only found out later in life, but it, it makes total sense to me as an adult, but it also helps me understand. And I wasn't upset about him being autistic I remember feeling upset that I knew and I knew and it, and, it, and it came to pass that he would be judged because he was different and, and it would be known to be different you know the kind of way it's mm. like a target because unfortunately even now in 20 we're in 2021 it's hard to believe it but even in 2021 being different and being seen as other and it doesn't even have to be autistic, just even being different in whatever way that is. You become a target for people that don't like difference, that want everybody to be uniform and the same. And my kids, it's like a rainbow in the house. They're all so different from each other. We, I'm autistic, my three boys are autistic. We're all so different. And then I can see my daughter Haley. It's very like my husband. They're very like, not that we're not jolly, we're jolly, but they're just very lackadaisical and life is grand. You know, where I'm like, uh, what's happening here? Who moved that? And why is this? Because I just need order and routine. But I know that about myself. So I try to kind of manage myself in the sense that I'm not upsetting anybody else around me because I know how I am. But then I know for my boys, they rely on that as well. So because of that's innately who I am, I can put that structure into place for them to make it such a normal part of their day. But outside the house then, I suppose that's the fear then, isn't it? Because you see of all these horrendous, we'll say for older um kids like teens or young adults mm. they're targeted and like that's my fear now is for when they're older because you know I'm their mom but I have to let them loose and go off and live their lives you know I have to let them go when when they're ready to go um but then I'm afraid of the you know the big world out there because you don't know I mean thank god there's such there's so many amazing advocates now but there still is that stigma mm. I know when I was diagnosed I wasn't really going to say it to anybody just because it's not a big it wasn't a big shock to me because tell me more about that though because um, as you said you were later in life yeah was it I, I assume it's because you of the amount of education you'd learned about the boys um, you started to recognize things in yourself yeah well it was more yeah it was definitely that but it was also Jack is a carbon copy of me as a child and I things Jack will do now I'm like oh my god I remember getting into trouble for doing that when I was small mm. but it's just typical autistic behavior or you know the way he is characteristics whatever way you want to look at it um you see I knew once I again it plays to the way my mind works but again once I started to research once I knew Connor was autistic I started to research and I just remember thinking that's like me and I do that and that's like me and three other times over the last 10 years I went to access an autism adult assessment and I remember talking to autistic females online in Ireland um that were autistic and I said oh I, I told them the truth and I said you know I feel I might be autistic and they were again so supportive and so helpful and they gave me the details of who they went to and whatnot and I, I was going to go but each time I stopped myself I said no because over those three other times, I was so fully aware of how my own kids were being treated or seen because mm. they were autistic. And, I, and I'm online and I can see, you know, some of the attitudes towards difference and whatnot. And it is really, to me, it's not, it doesn't bring anger, it brings hurt. And I just think these people know how amazing being autistic can be, and you know, that kind of thing. And then this time around, before Christmas, well, well before Christmas, I had the opportunity to go for an assessment again. And I wasn't going to go, but my friends online, I said to like three people and I was like, oh my God, I don't know. I think I'm going to back out. They're like, don't back out. Go for it this time. Don't back out. You're going to be so glad. And they're not autistic themselves. They were like, go for it. You're going to be so glad you did. And, and I was like, okay. And I thought, 
then the other side of me said, well, I, how can I run from a diagnosis? But I tell everyone about my kids, you know, the kind of way. Mm. And then what, how can I teach them to be proud of themselves if I'm hiding this part of myself that I know I'm autistic? I just need for my own clarity to talk to an objective expert professional in the field who can tell me if I'm autistic. Um, so I went and actually it was the best thing I ever did because I've spent my, spent my whole life feeling out of sync with everybody. Like I, I'm very able academically. I can teach myself anything. But when it comes to socially, I find it very difficult because I'm not, I'm, I don't pick up on social cues. I'm not, you might think, I don't know, you're saying you're a great speaker. I'm not a great speaker. If I was having a conversation, I'm just like, when do I speak? Do I not speak? What does that eyebrow movement mean? What does, do I stop talk? I don't know. I go off in a ramble, like I call it a ramble. But after talking to the psychologist, he just was, <laughs> he was so lovely. He was like, I've never met anyone like you before. I don't think I'll ever meet anyone like you again. He said, the way your mind works, he's, he was saying there was only a few people in the whole world that they process information as quickly as I do. And I was saying, but I, I can't offer a good speaker. And he was like, but it's because your mind is working so quickly that you can't get the words out succinctly because it comes out in either a really long, as you probably noticed, wow. spiel, or it comes out that I'm like, oh, I don't know what to say. Because I'm trying, it's like he said, my mind is like a computer. And I'm processing so much information all the time. But it, to you, I don't, I don't know how anybody else's mind works. But I'm at all times, I can see, this sounds very strange, I'm sure, like visual imagery, like if you want to call it cinematic. Mm-hmm. But at all times, I can see different things playing within my mind at all times on different things. Like I'm working on a project at the moment. And like that would play on, in my mind all the time as I'm trying to figure out how to do something. And it breaks down, it all breaks down into little pieces and it puts itself back together. And then mm-hmm. I'm thinking about our conversation and then I'm thinking about something I'm doing for Max and all this is happening all the time. And then I'm trying to speak. But what I found from him was that he had such a positive, empowering way of talking to me about who I am and how I am that I've walked away from that assessment with the diagnosis. but. And it's not about ego or anything. It's just about I understand myself and I don't feel out of sync anymore. I'm in sync. Sounds like the band, but I feel like I'm in sync with people like me. I know I'm not the same as you because we're different. I'm neurodivergent and you're neurotypical. I know that. But I feel like I'm happy in myself and I know you're happy in yourself and that and we can coexist. We don't have to be, I don't have to try and be like you. I can just be me. And I don't have to feel bad. Well, I do feel bad. I'm not great with you know, conversation and social situations, but I understand now why I'm not. And I don't have to now say, well, why couldn't I fix that part of myself as a child? I feel bad for the little me that was always like writing notes going, well, this is what you should do. And you say hello. And then, then you say this. And like, nobody knew I did any of those things, but that's what I did. Because I was trying to figure, because I'm very much... I'm very analytical and very logical. So I go, well, if I can't figure this out, I'm going to write it down and then Mm. I'm going to know like, oh my God, the things I did socially as a teenager. I remember I should have known, but I didn't get it. Like uh, one time we were, oh my God, if my friend listens to this and I'm sure she will, she'll remember. uh, We were all supposed to go out the night out. And again, my mom used to like, you never hear this. My mother used to push me to go out because I wouldn't go out. I'm like, I'm not going out. Do you realize, you know, I didn't understand I was autistic. I just, I loved the idea of going out, but it was too overwhelming to me to be there because I never knew what to say. I usually looked daft. I didn't even know I had a monobrow until my friend one day came at me with wax strips. I was like, that was keeping me warm, you know? Oh, I'm not even joking. And I'm lucky now all my sisters are beauticians and hairdressers. Anytime they see me, I'm really fearful because they're usually trying to fix some kind of probably beauty conundrum I didn't even know I had. You know, I wouldn't even go into that. But on this one night when I was a teenager... Uh, we were going somewhere and I was like what do you wear because I was like I don't know like I could turn up and anything she was like just be comfortable wear something comfortable so like in teenage speak that obviously meant something tight and you look gorgeous because there might be boys there I turned up like with a woolly jumper I mean like sheep woolly jumper as in like I could have passed off a, as a sheep it was like this big fleecy thing pair of loose jeans and old runners because I was comfortable in them and she was like what are you wearing they're all like with skirts and I don't even know what like young person clothes and I was like you said comfortable and she was like as in we're going to a disco and I was like oh my god and I had to go out and wear them my mom kept going are you sure are you sure you want to I was like yeah she's uncomfortable and like mom I'm like, I don't know if that's a and Claudia was like oh man don't wear that and I was like yeah it's comfortable and then I was roasting because it was a disco for the whole night and I looked like a portable sheep because I had this huge woolly jumper <laughs> it was like that's like a you know I just missed out on so many things 
I should have been aware of. But that's an example now of the social that I didn't pick up on the cues that mm. a younger teen, a teenage person would have known some kind of skirt top or pants combo. I turned up like a sheep. You know, literally, I <laughs> see it today. And I just keep going, oh my God, oh my God, what did I do? There's so many things like... Um, but maybe if the world didn't take itself so seriously. Yeah, that's the other way, yeah. If and and if we just accepted that that's your version of what comfortable is. is and yeah. why do we have to be so self-critical and, and, and judging? And it's like, yeah. and does it help you to know, I suppose, like where your life is at? Does it help you to to look at your sons and think like they will be okay. Yeah. It does. Things are moving in the, in a better direction. Yeah. And understanding them as you do, because I'd imagine that gives you um, a very precious insight yeah. into how they feel. And not all parents would yeah. be able to do that. Um, does it give you, does it give, when you were given that diagnosis and you said, Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm on their team. I'm with one of them. Yeah. And, yeah did it give you greater uh, yeah it brought I just remember feeling calm I know mm. I know other adults and online that are Irish and they haven't kind of said to anyone yet they, they've said it to me but they haven't said they're autistic to anybody else um they feel it's like a weight to carry and I totally accept that I mean it's everyone's own journey for me it just lifted the weight and the guilt off my shoulders I just remember I did say to my husband I was very kind of upset saying oh my god you know they're going to struggle because of me they're like me they're going to struggle I had this guilt and he said no Amanda if you think of it this way they're incredible because they're like you and then when I see like Khan has oh my god he's the heart of a saint he will just he's non-verbal or not speaking but he like if you're not feeling well Khan will come over and sit beside you and just put his head down on so he can't say you okay mommy or cry again but he'll come over and sit beside you or Jack would be like what do you say mommy you know and that's like I wish I had just said when I didn't understand what people were saying what do you mean like as in I don't understand mm -hmm. whereas he'll say it and I'm like oh you're so courageous because I spent 39 years going what do they mean? I don't know what that means. How do I answer that? He's like, we'll just say, what do you say, Manny? What do you mean? And I'm going, why didn't I just say those same words when I was a child and I would have understood more, you know? So he to me is like his own little trailblazer for me that I'm going, oh, I get it now. You know, I understand. This is what I should have been saying myself. So he's teaching me as much as I'm teaching him. And then Max then is just, oh my God, he would literally run a mile a minute into you to give you a hug. So you're just like, you know, so they're all just, to me now, when I think of it all, it just makes me so happy that I understand myself. But as a mom, I just think it's wild that I've started where I started, so lonely and afraid. And now I've come full circle and I understand myself, but I understand my kids. I have my amazing daughter and husband. And then I have so many lovely people that support me online, but that hopefully I can support in return, you know? It's just, I can't, I would love to go back and tell the old me not to, not to be upset and not to worry because someday, and I wouldn't even believe, believe it, in years to come, you would talk to thousands of people online every day, even though I didn't have one person I could talk to 11 years mm. ago about it. Like it doesn't even, it feels like a movie. Like it doesn't seem real or not to me anyway. It's a wonderful story. And I'm so, I am so honored that I got to, to, to bring this to other people's ears today because like you're, how, how you talk about the, the, the joy and the magic in your sons and not just the challenge, I think is really special. Um, and, you know, I think if, if we all turned such a traumatic experience as, as, the, as the depression yeah. that you experienced into something positive that we can, you know, pass on and, and take, take our own challenges and learnings and put it towards helping others that are going through it today, God, wouldn't it be a better place? And that's what you're doing. And, and I, I, I honestly can't thank you enough for doing it and um, I know that you're helping thousands of parents especially right now when so many support systems have been taken away from them um, it's and it's it's a really generous thing for you to do because you know you've your hands full and it's a really generous thing for you to do to help everybody else who's going through it oh well thanks I just I just can't I just I just don't want to ever leave anybody behind like not that anyone had left me behind back then because I didn't even know where I was like I didn't know I was about to start off on a journey with my son with that we're going into this new as I said and, and I always say the boys in a sense helped to lift what essentially was like a veil 
from in front mm. of my eyes to see the, the pain and the suffering that was actually about to happen in our own lives, but that happens every single day in the world for anybody who is raising a child that is different. And I don't mean because the child is different, but because of how sometimes the outside world will perceive or treat their child. So that's what I hope I can be for somebody else, that I can be the person there that when they were at their lowest ebb or when they were lost when they started out or even while they're on their journey that I'm there or as I say if I'm not the one I can always try and direct them to who is or should be there to help them you know and I think if we all were just a little kinder to ourselves and to each other um what a much nicer world it would be and as you say take out the judgment the judgment I even have on myself you know as parents like mm. I have the weight of the world on my shoulders that I put there myself that I should be doing this and I should be doing better as a parent or I should be doing like we should be doing more homeschool yesterday we didn't do any homeschool we made cookies and we just relaxed and kids played and we we should have been doing work but you know, I said to the teachers that Jack was a little anxious and Connie was out of sorts so we didn't do any work and they're like that's fine do the best you can if that's it like, that's it that's do it. the best you can yeah. and when it gets too hard ask for help yeah ask for help and if you're someone that someone is asking for help of don't tell them like what said to me don't blame the parent no or don't don't negate what they're saying by saying no it's not that it's you or no no they're fine like listen because as you said at the start as a parent and as a mother in particular you just have you just have this i don't know what it is i just had the sense immediately with connor there was something going on but i know what it's like to feel like you're visible so if you can raise anybody up we mm. should do it because it's great to support each other it's in the good times and in the bad but in the good times too just to kind of say look i've got you you know i'm there that's how i feel about it anyway amanda you and your little puddings are absolutely amazing and thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story today oh no thank you it's been i just can't believe i'm going to be on every moment like actually can't believe it <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I was only listening to a Tara Raptor the other day on it, and now I'm like, I'm uh-huh. mad. You are. It's a well, well deserved story. Don't be. I'm, I'm so, I'm so honoured that we got to well, share you it. You and all the team. I'm so, I'm so thankful. But I'm also just. It's like a. Do you ever hear a pinch me moment? It's like a pinch mm-hmm. me moment. I can't believe it. So thanks so much. Thank you, Amanda. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, Water Wipes are now 100% biodegradable, plant-based and compostable wipes and the winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoy this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review, share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest, Amanda, at littlepuddins.ie or the Autistic Educator on Instagram. Talk to you again next week.